addiction, prevention, recovery. Welcome to the Recovery Rebirth Podcast. Welcome to the Recovery Rebirth Podcast. I'm Dominic. And I'm Jillian. And today we're going to talk a little bit about fear. What uh, What do you think about that, Jillian? I'm a little scared, to be honest. <laughs> Well, you know what? A lot of us are. Uh, fear is actually, um, it manifests in so many different ways in people's lives, and it's a topic in recovery quite often, getting mm-hmm. over fear and dealing mm-hmm. with fear. And it's a, I, I think you mentioned this before, Jillian, when we were chit-chatting about the topic, it's kind of a cousin to... To anxiety. To anxiety. Yeah, at least yeah. a cousin. And we do have another episode that talks about anxiety, and I'm sure the word fear comes up in that, you know, mm-hmm. the anxiety. But fear is a little bit different. Fear is kind of a, an underlying corroding thread that ties to a bunch of other emotions. Because mm-hmm. um, quite honestly, people, you know, who get angry, yeah, fear is an underlying thread. Yes. You ever think about anger that? Anger is the secondary emotion. Well, anger is the emotion that shows. Mm-hmm. But because what triggers it's, it? It's easy to run on that adrenaline of anger. Yep. But underlying uh, fear is what causes that in a lot of cases. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll use a quick example. Um, you're driving in traffic, and somebody cuts you off, and you get angry, mm-hmm. and you're you, you get a little road rage going, which is just awful in today's society. But you get a little road rage. You're going to speed up and tailgate them, or you're going to mm-hmm. try to cut them off at the next intersection, or you can't wait to give them some gesture of <laughs> right, <laughs> some gesture of good faith the at the traffic wave. light. You know, the the one finger wave in the at the traffic light, or any of that stuff. But you know what it really comes down to is fear. Yes, our ego kicks in and says, "Wait a minute, I'm more important than you." And therefore, I should be ahead of the, you know, in the traffic, you know, the presidential motorcade. How (laughs) dare you, you know, get in front of me and cut me off when we don't even know what the other person is going through. Maybe they were rushing to the hospital because a relative was dying or something of that nature. But yeah, um, but this this fear thing kicks in and and, and it comes out as anger. Mm -hmm. Um, Resentments are often fear based, you know, when we carry long term resentments. Um, of course, we talked about anxiety, but then there's the fear has its icing on the cake, and that's worry. Mm-hmm. Worry off the top, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then um, uh, depression and hopelessness are fear-based, because mm-hmm. when you're depressed, you're fearful of things, and you worry about things. Right. And then you start feeling this hopelessness, you know, where life is just not worth living anymore, and you know, it's just awful, this pit that we get into. And then, of course, fear in the long term can also lead to uh, mental and physical fatigue and illness. Uh-huh. You know, it destroys our bodies as well as our minds. So uh, so it's a topic we need to really dig into in recovery and think about, you know, what is fear, how to define it, how to deal with it, um, how to understand it, and, and, and more importantly, most importantly, how to get over it. Uh, it or through it, how to work through fear. Right. So um, tell me a little bit, Jillian, about your experience with, with fear, and then I'll share some of mine, and then we'll just kind of go through it. And then I've got some, some new, new fun stuff to think about of how to get uh, around it or through it. 
All right. Well, thanks. And um, yeah, and thanks for suggesting this topic because I, it's one I hear often in recovery and I have a lot of personal experience with it myself. Um, so some of my big fears, uh, one that's lingered honestly for most of my life is the fear of abandonment. Um, and that is rooted in my childhood experience when my mother took off when my parents divorced when I was seven, um, years later, we discovered that she had some significant mental illness, but as a young girl, all I knew in my experience was my mom left. Um, and therefore, so because of that experience and feeling abandoned, even though now as a grown up and I can intellectualize and understand she didn't. She wasn't like, I'm going to bail on my kids. She just, I really think that she was just trying to get her needs met uh, in a way that was hurtful to me and to my brother. And um, yeah, so I don't judge her now for that, but there was a, it caused me a lot of pain throughout my life, that fear of abandonment. Um, and because of her being gone and not dependable or reliable or uh, steady and stable, I transferred all of this uh, to my father, um, you know, all of this need for security. So when he, I would worry when I was a little girl that something bad happened to him. Um, so when he was a tree trimmer, for example, as his vocation, he had a couple of close encounters with a chainsaw and unlike his daughter, my dad's pretty punctual. And so I remember being a maybe late elementary, middle school age and my dad running late from work and instantly my brain went to my dad cut his leg off and bled to death because there had been a couple experiences where he had been injured. So I wasn't entirely fabricating it. But what I know for me is fear has, I mean, I have was blessed with a great imagination, which is great when you're not feeling fearful. Um, catastrophizing is what they call it. Catastrophizing. Yes. So that's, uh, that's what I would do. And, um, also, side note, because I believe we've done podcasts on grief, and if not, I'm sure we will. Oh, yeah, we, we did. Yeah. Um, I had this experience, I've had this with my dad, called anticipatory grief, because we do all die someday. It's just a fact. No one here gets out alive, as Jim Morrison said. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, I I would, like, pre-grieve this anticipatory grief, like, when I was very young. So I've grieved my dad's death many times, even though he's still alive. Um Another, hmm. another fear, um, even though I swore I'd never have kids, I have two kids who I love dearly as a mom, you know, the fear of losing them. I have a close friend who lost a child, um, was actually holding him in her arms and he was very young, not quite two years old when he passed away. I, I cannot imagine. I know people get through that, but I feel like I wouldn't want to. It just, it's so overwhelming to even consider something like that. Um, so those are my personal experience with big fears. And then on a, you know, just on a collective scale, I think, you know, currently in society, and this is why I don't read the news because unfortunately it feeds that fear for me a lot. Um, with things like COVID with this pandemic, especially remember early, early on when we didn't know what we were dealing with all the fear and we were in lockdown and we're isolated from each other. We're forced, you know, in forced isolation. And then, you know, as a parent, school shootings. There was just one in Michigan recently um, because even though I don't consume the news, I talk to people who do and they tell me about what's going on. Those kinds of things feed fear on a collective level. Um, so that's some of my personal experience and then some of what's going on kind of larger scale with humanity on the fear front. So how about for you? What prompted your uh, 
your inspiration to talk about this today? Well, I've, <laughs> I, I, like everybody else, have experienced different levels and kinds of fear in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I can relate to the fear of abandonment because yeah. uh, I wasn't abandoned as a child, but my mom died when I was 18. My yeah. father died when I was 20. Yeah. And I had this fear like everything I love will leave me. Mm-hmm. And it certainly hurt relationships that I tried to have with people because... Yeah. You know, you're as you said, pre-grieving the mm-hmm. loss and all that. So you, you get a little clingy and yeah. needy and all that because everything I love leaves me was my thought. Right. You know, I remember a relationship that I had um, in my twenties where, um, you know, it wasn't working out. But I, I used that very line. I said, everything I leave, leave everything I love leaves me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm looking back and that was that um, that anticipatory fear, you know, Mm -hmm. that uh, I can't love anything or anybody because it's going to go away. Right. Uh, So, yeah, I've related to that. Uh, A lot of what I fear is actually a form of PTSD, though, today, you know, Uh the the fear that I have. And it's not relationship based. It's financial. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I've had trouble in the past, you know, in years past with finances, as probably everybody who's been, in, you know, through the recovery process, you know, you don't come in on a winning streak. Life is not, <laughs> yeah. life's not going uh, phenomenal. And quite right. frankly, if I did win the lottery, I probably would have spent it on uh, drugs and booze and not been around to talk about how wonderful life is. Right. You know, I, uh, I, 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 I had that fear though that corroding thread of fear um that would kick in for finances you know and i i noticed it with products that i was uh afraid of running out of like you know you always have to make sure you know you've got something silly like milk in the fridge toilet paper toilet well who wants to run out of toilet paper (laughs) just look at the pandemic (laughs) nobody wants to run out of toilet paper Mm -hmm. um but yeah, fear of running out of things. Like I could never finish, hmm. a, a you know, a cup of coffee or something down to the bottom where there's nothing left in the cup because I had a fear of running out of stuff. Huh. And it was a financial fear like that, that was kicking in. But I yeah. didn't realize it. It manifested itself in different places. So that sounds like, and I've heard this, like the scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. Right? Instead of having an abundance mindset, having right. a scarcity or a poverty mindset. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, you know, you might have a bad experience in the past yep. or a couple of bad experiences in the past, but then you carry that fear with you yes. for years. Mm-hmm. So strategically, to overcome fear, we got to understand it and acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And you obviously have understood where your fear was coming from yeah. and acknowledging it. And I'm starting to discover my patterns. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't acknowledge fear. They just fear it. They feel it, and and the fear kicks in, and then they don't yeah. understand where it's coming from. It's just manifests as anxiety mm-hmm. or anger, mm-hmm. and in those other forms. But uh, in order to deal with it, we gotta we gotta acknowledge it. Yes, yeah. There's, um, I'm sure you've probably heard these because you've been in recovery even longer than I have. Um, but some of the acronyms, and we might have shared this in another podcast, but it's a great time to revisit. Um, there's a few that I have heard, uh, false evidence appearing real, mm. 
my favorite, but I'm going to edit because we try to keep this PG. <laughs> <laughs> F, everything and run. I'll let you fill in the blank, yep, listeners. Yep. That's one of my favorites. I think we can figure that one out. <laughs> um, but actually, my new favorite, my absolute favorite acronym is Face Everything and Recover. Oh, I like that one. That's a positive one. It is a positive one. Yes. So how, let me ask you a question. How do you analyze your fears? Like to, You acknowledge them. Right. So we know we got it. Mm-hmm. We've got fears we've got to deal with. Yes. How do we analyze those fears so that we can actually pick it apart put it back together in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. How, how Have you gone through any process with uh, that? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, I've done therapy, but I mean, re- recovery has been the most helpful for me in helping to identify because I hear other people share their experience. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been through that too. The critical part, and I think we talked about this a bit earlier before we started recording is, you know, it when you're in the midst of fear, that's not the time to do it. You have to wait till you're in a state where you're calm um, to start understanding the cause of it because um, and I wanted to talk a bit about what happens to us physiologically when our fear becomes activated. Um, so we have for one thing our, our amygdala gets activated so that's a kind of the it's a very primitive part of our brain. The lizard brain. The lizard brain. Um, My and, favorite. The <laughs> lizard brain. And that is responsible for like this primal emotions like fear and anger. And as we, as you illustrated, they're so closely related. And I don't think I realized the connection between fear and anger until I was in recovery. Um, cause I was thinking of somebody I know whose father is an alcoholic and this person is one of the angriest people I know. And then I realized like, well, she just has a mountain of hurt and like, and fear underneath that. Right. So it's not the anger is the secondary emotion and it feels safer to express anger. Well, anger pumps adrenaline right away. Absolutely, and that starts to happen. So our amygdala gets activated. We release release, um, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. Um, Cortisol, the stress stress hormone. Mm -hmm. Glucose levels spike. Uh, Our breathing and heart rate increases. We go into that fight-flight freeze, or now there's known as FAWN. So fight-flight freeze or FAWN when our sympathetic nervous system is activated. Um, and also in the midst of all of this, our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain, which is like the center of reasoning and logic that goes offline. So when you're in the midst of that and not one of those, like we discussed, like say you're in a haunted house and there's a jump scare. Well, then you settle down pretty quickly, right? Because you, you know, like that was just your things become elevated for a moment and then you calm back down. Right. But, well, this episode is definitely not about that kind of fear yes. because uh, usually that rush of adrenaline goes away pretty quickly for the mm-hmm. fight or flight mode. We're talking about sustained fear. So this is the kind of fear, say you get a phone call that your child, loved one, fill in the blank, has been in a car accident and right. they're in, you know, critical condition. Then you have those elevated levels for a while because that's not something that's been resolved and you still have that looming fear of something catastrophic happening. Um, so that's what's going on when you're with your body when you're in fear. Um, so that is not a, a time when we can analyze the root of our, our other, like these looming, like these kind of more lifelong fears, like I explained earlier with fear of abandonment, for example. That's something that requires me to be in a relatively calm state <laughs> and, <laughs> right. uh, and to try to figure out like, oh, so this is what I know is driving this fear. These are the behaviors because like you, that fear of abandonment informed and derailed so many of my relationships because I was going 
coming from that scarcity mindset too. Like, again, I can relate to that. Everything I love leaves me. I'm like, they're going to leave me like my mom did. So I just, and I kept recreating what I know now is that I was recreating this dynamic over and over. I would not, um, not on a conscious level. Subconsciously, but, right? Yep. I would select people who would mimic that dynamic. Like I, I didn't know outwardly that they were unavailable, but they all were. And so and then that just kept reinforcing that fear over and over and over. So my solution is for now, don't date because it's still kind of, it's still there. It's not as bad as it used to do or as it used to be, but I still have a little work to do on that and understanding so that I don't go into the fear-based response and, you know, go into panic mode and sabotage everything. <laughs> right, right. Well, one thing we've got to look at when we analyze it is, is the fear real at mm -hmm. the moment or is it imagined at the right, moment? Right, right. Because our brains play tricks on us. Yes. That's where the PTSD kicks in, you know. Um, yep. Like veterans who have P PTSD. Mm-hmm can freak out even though they're not in a life-threatening situation. Right. Because of the past experience when they were mm -hmm. in a life-threatening situation. So, like, I could have all my bills paid for the month, mm -hmm. and everything's fine, got money in the bank and money in my pocket, and, you know, everything's good, food on the table, but I'm scared to death of poverty. Right. That is imagined fear from PTSD kind of thing. Yeah. So, it, like you said, I have to analyze this, though, after I calm down and realize, is this fear real or imagined? Is everything okay right now? Yes, right. it is. Right. Why am I worried about it? Well, it's that past experience. And when you can logically say, oh, I'm. this is because I've had prior experiences where bad things happened. And, but then to remind yourself, this is what I told myself when I was going through some pretty significant uh, if you're, after I was cheated on by my ex and it triggered all of my abandonment stuff, hardcore. Like the, sure, why would com Compared <laughs> yeah. to my, it was the only thing as painful as my mom's abandonment, air quotes, abandonment. Um, and I, I had to tell myself my mantra for a while and the immediate fallout of that experience was it's not happening now. I would have these intrusive thoughts and I contend that being cheated on is a type of PTSD. That was my experience. I would get triggered like other people would, you know, if, if I would hear a certain song or think about a certain thing, I would take me right back to that moment. And that's the thing with trauma is it's like you re-experience it all over again. All those emotions and physiological sensations, all of it comes back. And it's, it's like it's happening like the first time. So you're at, let's say you're in a healthy relationship and mm -hmm. things are going well and somebody's coming they're supposed to come over for dinner and mm -hmm. they're late yeah and they're not usually late but all of a sudden it's like a half hour 45 minutes have gone by and like where is this person yeah and all that fear kicks in mm -hmm. imagining that you're being cheated on yeah when in fact perhaps um they got a flat tire they got a flat tire and they were changing the tire and you know in, outside and didn't Thing yep. to call right because it was raining because it was raining or whatever <laughs> right. or maybe they were in a dead zone with the cell phone but my point is we don't give every, uh, situations the yeah. benefit of the doubt sometimes correct yeah. yeah like with financial fears well the fear that you'll never be able to make another dime as long as you live mm -hmm. which is ridiculous you know as long as you're still breathing and able to function i mean that you can contribute somewhere and make money yeah uh, things may change and things may be different with financial situations, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, as long as you're still alive, you can, you can make it happen. And I think, in a, you know, when you mentioned how, um, there was a, I watched a couple of videos this morning on fear and preparation and, and one I watched and I'll link it. It's a short one, but at two points that I noted were fear. Uh, so fear evolved to protect us. Like that's how it was. It started with humans it evolved to protect us. So when you're being chased by a saber tooth tiger, Fear can actually be helpful when you have that adrenaline response and all the things that prepare your body, the fight or flight. But the problem is our body doesn't know the difference between a real and a perceived threat. So when I'm sitting there and this dude's running late and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's sleeping with somebody. Or then I might think, or he was in a car accident because that's the other place my brain would go. Right, the catastrophizing on the other side of it. You know, as I heal you know, from trauma and other things. And I can try to not let my amygdala take over and think, oh, it could have been a flat tire or start to think of some of the other scenarios. Um, and then also draw from experiences where the worst hasn't happened. Like, oh, remember that time when this person got a flat tire or it was this, or it wasn't anything as, as terrible as my brain is trying to make it out to be. Um, yeah. And there is uh so there's another short video psychology fear that I watched and it talks about, the two points I kind of took away were uh, the, some fears are universal. For example, uh, a fear of death. That's a kind of, it's a universal human experience. And another thing that happens is caused, uh, sorry, it's called emotional contagion where the fear like spreads in groups, kind of like with the pandemic, right? Because we're all, this this huge unknown and we know that it's this new illness, this new virus that some people have died, but we don't know enough about it or how to prevent it or how contagious it is. So, it's actually called emotional contagion when you have that fear in large. Is that groups. how the toilet paper got bought up and, and taken off the yes. shelves? Some, yep. Somebody started saying we better buy up toilet paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody caught on to it. And it's like, oh, oh, there's going to be a shortage. Scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset. Fear kicks in. Everybody's out there buying toilet paper. Yeah. And then, in fact, the, those folks caused the, the exactly. toilet paper shortage because yeah. if everybody bought it at their normal rate, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, we probably wouldn't have run out. I'm pretty sure not to be gross that their output didn't increase in <laughs> correlation oh, to the amount of toilet paper okay. they were buying. So, yes, but by a reasonable amount of toilet paper, people. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and. uh how much do you really need? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. The house? I, I wonder. Mean, I could, I'm envisioning some people's like storage units or storage <laughs> just like full of toilet paper still, who yep. just freaked out early on in the pandemic and bought bales and bales of toilet paper. Well, you can actually cause a shortage by breaking the flow that normally happens with any supply chain. Uh, yes. So anyway, but that's an outside <laughs> issue. Um, but what you're talking about, uh, Jillian, it sounds like, is facing fear. Mm-hmm, yeah. Allowing yourself to feel it yep. and then analyzing it and figuring out if it's real or imagined. Yes. And and uh, look at it as an opportunity for growth to get past the PTSD. you got to face yes. your fear. Yeah. If yeah. we don't take a look at it and we just... They say don't feel with your fingers, not with your feelings, you know. Don't oh. feel with your feelings, you know. Oh. Uh, you should f- feel with your fingers. Okay. Because our emotions will lie to us. At yeah. least that's something I hear in recovery uh, is that our emotions can play tricks on us. Yes. So, we, yes. you know, I had to analyze my own fears and figure out where they were coming from. And mm-hmm. now that I know where they're coming from, it makes it easier to face it, analyze it, pick it apart, realize that sometimes... Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's imagined. Yeah. Sometimes it's real, but I'm making it 
the catastrophizing it, you know, the making it a catastrophe when yeah. it's not a catastrophe. So I'm amplifying something that yes. is it is real. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't deny that it's not real, but I'm catastrophizing and making it much worse than it could be. Like, you know, somebody gets a cut on their finger and a small infection and all of a sudden they're catastrophizing and saying they're going to have to amputate the whole hand. Right, right. Which, you know, is in most cases is a kind of a ridiculous exaggeration. But when you're living in that fear in the moment, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to lose the hand. Right. Well, yeah, just like the experience I shared with you before this, my a recent experience with fear was my 19-year-old son's arm and hand swelling. And we weren't quite sure why. And, you know, my lizard brain starts catastrophizing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a blood clot and he's going to die in his sleep. I went and checked on him three or four times that night. Um, oh, my God, it's a blood clot and he's going to die. Yeah, that's my amygdala was like, OK, no, no logic is going to come into play right now. I mean, but your that, lizard's been working out it, there. The lizard brain <laughs> it has really been doing was. going to the gym. Man. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I'm guilty of it, too. It's just for different things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, I've got a new thing to throw out here that I hear a lot in biz- in the business world, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause, uh, there are a lot of people starting companies, a lot of shifts in the economy and stuff uh-huh. like that. And, and there, there are people who are making it and some who are not, but, um, we all have a fear of, uh, failure at some time, you know, we're fear of making a mistake or failing or, you know, not doing well on the test or the court yeah. doing well in the course or, mm-hmm. you know, not doing the best on a project at a job. But what about uh, the other side of that, which I hear uh, uh, not as often about, but uh, it's a prominent thing that happens uh, in in the world is fear of success. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are your thoughts on fear of success? I got a, f- a few I'll share in a minute. Well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, it brings to mind a Marianne Williamson quote, which I won't share the entirety of it right now, but and I think Nelson Mandela referenced it um, in his inauguration for like, I don't know if that's what his, uh, the ceremony was called when he became president. Um, but I inauguration. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if that's universal. Like that's what we call it here in America, but regardless. Um, so I, as you know, I've been, I've gone back to school and, um, I was a terrible student when I was younger and in high school, I was also in the midst of a lot of, there's a lot of trauma and dysfunction going on in my life at the time. Um, and so I'm now confronting all these old narratives of I'm a bad student. I'm not smart, blah, blah, blah. Turns out I'm actually a really good student. Mm. Um, but I wonder how much of that was also tied up with that fear of success. Um, and I'll, in the, I'll link that Marion Williamson in the show notes. Um, Please. but yeah, yeah, but that is something that we don't talk about a lot because, um, fear of failure you hear about all the time. But fear of success, there's a lot more pressure <laughs> that comes along with being successful and that responsibility. Well, yeah, if you're successful, you've got a, a level of responsibility that is increased. Mm-hmm. And then all eyes are on you to maintain that uh, success. Yeah. So uh, it's even like people in long-term recovery sometimes can be stressed mm-hmm. because they, they're supposed to be an example to right. others in mm-hmm. recovery, right? So let's say somebody's got 20 years or 30 years of recovery. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be a living example of the greatness of recovery. But the truth of the matter is, as life happens sometimes yeah. and people do have fears kick in 
and people have trials and tribulations that, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and all these other things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe you don't want to be so successful because you're scared of the responsibility and the level of attention that creates. Yeah. Um, That makes sense to me. I probably have not completed some projects in my life because I was fear it was going to work. <laughs> yeah. It was going to be really successful and then it's going to change my entire life. Usually I could see the positive side of it, but I, you know, I also see the negative side. Right. You know, I can yeah. look at both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, There's something that I thought of um, related to your comments earlier about just kind of that uh, facing our fears. Yeah. And they, you know, and when we can analyze those things from a place where amygdala is not on fire. Um, you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle, Mm-mm. The Power of Now author. He's got other... I've heard that. Yeah. So I'm he not talks, familiar with uh, I don't know if it's specific. I think it's about our fears. So, but he talks about being the observer. So rather than, you know, like, and I hadn't heard feeling with our fingers on our feelings, but yeah, my, if I get, yeah, my, my fear, if I'm too much in my emotion, you know, I'm not as much in my logical brain, but if I can just kind of observe like, okay, I'm feeling anxious because this guy's running late for a date or hasn't texted back or whatever. That's a good opportunity for me when I'm not too activated to be like, okay, I noticed this coming up for me because this is a longstanding fear, but this is the time where I'm going to consider all the other things that it could be and not my worst fear being reinforced again. So that's something we can use again when we're kind of calm and re- or maybe we feel ourselves starting to creep into that fearful thinking like, oh, I'm going to use either some past experiences or I'm just going to observe my pattern of launching into this narrative, (laughs) this fear-based narrative and saying, okay, but let's pause because what are some, maybe you could even sit and write down, what are some alternative realities that could be existing? Flat tire, got caught up on a phone call, you know, and any number of things that could not be your worst fear. So you're talking a little bit about developing the courage to push through what might be potential fears. Yes. You know, developing some confidence and some resilience by looking at the positives instead of the negatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people would say benefit of the doubt. Give, yes. give the situation the benefit of the doubt. Right, right. Because I don't know what it is about humans, and I'm guilty of being human. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, every day of my life. Yeah, ironically, I'm guilty of being human, uh, but we tend to think of the negative instead of the positive. I yeah. don't know what it is about people, mm-hmm. but, you know, if there's a big traffic accident, that slows everybody down, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like we all have to look at the <laughs> negative stuff that's going on. It causes a massive traffic jam, and mm-hmm. and you find out it's just because everybody slowed down to look at the catastrophe. Yeah. And it's just sad that we, we, we tend to be, as human beings, looking at the negative rather than the positive. So giving the benefit of the doubt, building some courage and self-confidence and, and some resilience by mm-hmm. pushing through, looking on the bright side of things, um, can make huge changes. Um, I'll share real quick with uh, the with, uh, listeners uh, something that I use when I'm experiencing long-term fear, mm-hmm. you know, that lasts for you know, weeks sometimes, you know, where something's on your mind for weeks at a time. Yeah. I actually find that it's very helpful to go through this process in a different set of scenery, different scenery. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So taking a break. Now, not everybody can go away on vacation. I'm not talking about that. That's not easy for a lot of people. Uh But it's very easy to take a break for a couple of hours and go for a walk. 
yeah. Nat- nature therapy. Mm-hmm. I know you're big into nature therapy, Jillian, nature right? Therapy. Taking taking yes. a walk in the forest or down a trail or mm-hmm. by the water, someplace to get a, a, a different perspective uh, helps a lot. Now, for me, I find that I need to clear my head uh, about once a quarter. So I take, you know, in, in, in uh, there are four quarters to the year. Uh, once a quarter, I need to get out of town for a minute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'll take a weekend or something. And it, usually it's tied into some other service commitment or whatever. But it's great to get out of town and get a different perspective yes. when you're not sitting in your home, in your office or wherever it is. If Now, the simplest form of this would be if you're working in an office with other people, it's just take a short break. Mm-hmm. You know, people, I don't know if st- people still take smoke breaks anymore oh or whatever goodness. they do. You fresh know, air but breaks. It's a fresh air break. There you go. You take a fresh air break, go for a short walk, take 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, and I'm sure everyone else around you will thank you, if not mm-hmm. you looking in the mirror and thanking yourself for that opportunity to clear your head. Because mm-hmm. fear can be crippling. Absolutely. Um, I got a quick quote I'll share, and I think you have a quote, don't you? I do. So Mark Twain said, courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, but not absence of fear. Yes. So it doesn't mean you're not fearful. Mm -hmm. It means you're pushing through it and resisting it and mastering it. Yeah. uh, We don't, we don't, uh, turn our emotions off like a water faucet but what we do is we analyze and understand it we face it we develop the courage by pushing through it yep there's a another saying much more simple saying but just feel the fear and do it anyway Mm -hmm. so those are the kinds of thoughts that i have when i'm attempting something that you know i'm fear fearful of failing or maybe succeeding (laughs) right i i think of that um i do have a, a quote too that i found on fear from Marie Curie, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, didn't I believe she? So. Oh, what was it? Mm, I'm trying to remember. Oh gosh, this is terrible. I'm trying to remember why she was famous. Something to do with uh, was it medicine? Wasn't it atomic energy or medicine? <gasps> Good no. gracious! Go ahead and consult uh, Doctor Google for a second while I <laughs> share this quote. All right. So Marie the quote. Marie Curie, scientist. <laughs> scientist, yeah. So a uh, pioneer in the study of radiation. So it was. Ah, uh, there you I, go. It was uh, unfortunately led toward the atomic bomb, I believe. But um, <laughs> whoops, it easy. <laughs> she had good intentions. <laughs> she, she did. She, I'm sure she did. Yeah. Um, it also, I mean, it was part of it that developed the X-ray. Yeah. See. So I mean, there's Helpful. positive things. There's yes. Po- let's focus on the positives. <laughs> There you so go. the the quote from she this, had a quote, huh? Yeah. Well, well you have many. a quote. quote. She said something. Something she said that I'm going to repeat is, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more, so that we may fear less. Ah, powerful statement. Excellent. Well, Jillian, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to uh, be here with me for our listeners. Thank you. Um, we thank everybody for uh, joining us on this podcast episode, talking about fear. I'm sure it's a topic that will come up again mm-hmm. from a different perspective. Uh, and also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Um, and you can check out our episode on anxiety. Um, at, mm-hmm. at the time that this is being recorded, I don't know if that one is published yet or not. 
So, uh, but it will be published. We have a, a podcast strictly on anxiety uh, and many other topics related to addiction, prevention, and recovery. Uh, just talking about them and our experience with them, and then hopefully sharing some resources that may be valuable for you to overcome these things because we all have challenges in life, right? Truth. Yes. Life ain't easy. Uh-uh. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Jillian. Thanks, friends.